From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Learn more about gig-speed internet or other popular plans. With Xfinity, you'll enjoy faster downloads and a better streaming experience. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. The kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. Welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here, like always, with my man Carlo. Habadi. Habadi. I just learned uh, Swahili. For you hello. just taught me a new. Uh, well, before, let's, let's introduce the guest, Carlo. Take it easy. <laughs> Today we have a, a guy who's into linguistics. What the hell is linguistics, Carlo? We're about to learn all about it. His name is Dr. Rob Leonard, but he's got a pretty colorful background. He's one of the world's leading experts on forensic linguistics. He consults with law enforcement people on big cases. You know what? Welcome, Rob. But more important is you go back with Sha Na Na? I do, I do. You don't remember that. You're too young, Sean. No, no. Oh, I know Teen Angel and Good Night, yeah. Sweetheart. I know all those songs. Yeah, Teen Angel was my song. Uh, my brother, who organized us, my brother George, and choreographed us and assigned us uh, songs. He gave me the death songs. Tell Laura <laughs> I love her. I love Teen Angel. Tell yeah. Laura I love her. Bum, 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 bum. Tell, Tell Laura, Laura I need her. Tell Laura not to cry. My love for her will wow. never die. Wow, great boom, memories. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And what other ones? What other ones? So Come on. Well, Teen Angel. Uh, Teen Angel. Teen Angel. Answer me, please. Wow. Boom, boom, boom. What yeah. great memories, man. I, life was easy for me then. <laughs> now I got to worry about payroll every two weeks. I well, didn't have to go. worry about that. that. That's what I think appealed to everybody. You know, we, we started Shanana in 69, which was a period, you know, of a lot of upheaval, the Vietnam War. Yeah. And we were all at Columbia, and the students had, uh, had actually seized control of the school the year before. And, and it was nice to think back to when yeah, you were things cool, were... You were a cool group. I remember you guys. And uh, I was one of the guys on the other side. We were busting the heads of the all the libs. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up becoming a cop, and I continued to bust heads. I'll never forget we had an Honor America Day parade I think it was 1970, uh, Vietnam War was going on pretty heavy. And then we marched down Broadway at that time. I went on the police department, and I was marching with all the— I was a construction worker before I became a cop, an iron worker, laborer. And then all of a sudden we went to Pace College, and the kids were throwing bottles at us. Really? And then they locked the doors, the glass doors. Nah, that didn't work. We busted the doors down, and I punched the living shit out of everyone that I could see. And I was— uh, Trainee, police trainee. I wasn't a cop yet. Well, I guess if people are throwing bricks at you, you're within your uh, rights. <laughs> well, but, today, yeah. today they're on video cameras. They'd be locking me up. Well, they'd be locking everybody up. <laughs> yeah. But then you guys actually performed in the Great Woodstock. I didn't go. I didn't go. But it was was really something that was happening. Happening in the crazy Jimi Hendrix. You introduced him? Wow. We, <laughs> we, opened, we opened for him, yeah. Um, and we had met him just a couple of weeks before he had come to see us. Yeah. And was at, he was he straight or high? He he was <laughs> he was the nicest guy I ever met. And ah. Sure seemed straight to me. Interestingly, yeah. yeah. And uh, we were at a place called Steve Paul's Scene on Fifty Sixth and Eighth. Steve under, Paul's Scene. It, 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 it was kinda, such an insider place. No, but it kind of resonates into the deep. Resonation yeah, yeah, of yeah. my memory. Oh, I'm sure you, knew, scene, you yeah. knew of it. Because well, we had the Petman Lounge in the early 60s. Yeah. Uh, Joey D's Petman yeah, Lounge. Yeah, I remember, sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we auditioned for somebody there once. Um, so um, this place was half-owned by Andy Warhol, even. Uh-huh. Well, not that I knew that at the time until until we got... We, we became sort of the house band there. And 
uh, I finish with, Teen Angel, answer me, please. And I look up, and they're not eight feet away. It's Jimi Hendrix wow. jumping up and down on a chair going, yeah, yeah. Wow. I said, Lord, take me now. I'm never gonna, wow. It's never going to get better than that. Yeah. And uh, I met him that night, and I uh, uh, was sitting drinking with him, and he showed me how to drink tequila. You know, I was a, a kid kid and uh, with, the, with salt the salt and the lime. It, yeah. yeah, exactly. A guy came up. Tried to sell him a hot camera. I mean, he was just the nicest guy in the world. He gave the guy a lecture, really. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing? You know, I mean, go put that back. I mean, your kids need you and stuff. And he gave 20 bucks. Yeah. I was the nicest guy in the world. So a couple nights later, I go into our dressing room, which was about as big as this table. And there's this stoned hippie giving me a peace sign. And yeah. he's so stoned that he can barely speak. And he says, you guys... You guys. And I said, oh, thanks, man. You know, and I start walking him out the door. And just as I do that, our manager, my brother's friend, another 23-year-old, like, gets all entangled. We both go down. And my manager picks up the hippie. Yeah. And then, like, nothing happened. He just finishes his sentence. He says, you guys have to be at Woodstock. And I, wow. said, to, I said to Ed, good call, our manager. How big was the group at that time? Twelve. I said, what's a Woodstock? He says, you'll find out. And that night, organized crime closed Steve Paul's scene forever due to non-payment of dues. And uh, my mother was there, my father, our guitarist, 80-year-old grandmother was there. There was tear gas, and uh, we never would oh have gotten God. to Woodstock because that was it. That was wow, it. Steve wow, Paul's great scene. story. So now, let's. Why the reason why you're here is this linguistics. What the hell is linguistics? Right. So uh, I always joke, like, when people say, what do you do? And I say, forensic linguistics. So that's two words that, I mean, people have heard forensic. They have no idea what linguistics is. You put them together. Okay. So linguistics is no more or less than the science that studies language, typically human language in all its angles, the history, the relation of, uh, of, other lang of languages to each other, of dialects of how, for example, these noises that I and you are making by pumping air through this musical instrument that we call our vocal uh, yeah. apparatus, somehow these noises, you guys are hearing them as thoughts. And if you think about that, there's very few things in the world as different as noises and thoughts. Right. So how does this happen, you see? And that's actually the focus of the study of a lot of linguists. And uh, my doctorate's in uh, semantics, theoretical semantics, which is the theory of how we actually are transmitting and understanding or misunderstanding meaning through language. But wait a second. I'm fucking lost here right now. You're saying by listening to someone talk, you could figure out something deeper? Well, the point is that the amazing thing right on the face of it is that any of us are reconstituting the thoughts that we think the other guy had, you see? But then we also know that everybody's miscommunicating all the time, right? And one of the reasons for that is that... Well, I don't miscommunicate because I yell all the time. <laughs> right. they know well, if you exactly yell loud enough, mean. they're going to understand, right? Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. I'm still baffled. <laughs> I, I mean, are you getting this, Colin? I get it. So the other thing we study, my other uh, main focus is what's called, you're going to like this one, variationist sociolinguistics. And uh, my two mentors, one was a uh, giant in, in theoretical semantics and the other in variationist sociolinguistics. And that means that we study how people vary their speech, for example, according to who they're talking to. Code switching? Is that Like code switching, okay. for, for instance, yes. And also how dialects work and things like that. So that's one of the ways that we do demographic, linguistic demographic profiling. If we get a document uh, with enough data in it, we can, you know, opine as the technical term on where the person's from, uh, where they lived maybe, uh, all sorts of things. I'll give you an example. Yeah. My mentor, Roger Shai, uh, who really founded this in the U.S., he was a distinguished research professor at Georgetown. He's written around 30 books for Oxford University Press on this. He's, he's just the, the world's greatest expert. The FBI brought uh, Roger the Unabomber's manifesto when they got it. You'll remember that. that yeah, you know, sure. Yeah, sure. And all of the um, 
bombing-related documents that they had. And at that point, they were sort of thinking uh, that the Unabomber was maybe a young mechanic who worked for the airlines, and it, it sort of made sense. So Roger looked at this, and he said, the Unabomber, the guy who wrote these things, is in his 50s. He has an advanced degree, but the advanced degree is not in the humanities. He was brought up in Chicago as a Catholic, and he has lived in the West, but he's not from the West. And he was right on all those things. And that's why coming off the written things that he wrote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, he knew that he was had been in the West for some period of time because one of the things he wrote was going out to meditate or something in the Sierra which is a topographical feature that people refer to out west, you know, kind of a mountain. But those were the, that was the only yeah, western the topographical. Sierra Nevada mountain. That's right, exactly. But that was the only um, topographical feature that he used from the west. Uh-huh. See, and indeed, he had, he had been uh, in California. And uh, he, he's talked about rearing children instead of raising children. And we know that at that time, that was northern cities. That would include Chicago. Then he used misspellings, but they weren't actually misspellings. Roger made them as spelling reforms that had been promulgated by the Chicago Tribune publisher. Oh. At a certain period of time, just when a guy in, then in his mid-50s would be coming up. Wow. Yeah. So you understand like this, Carlo? So pretty much... <laughs> The way that a person speaks or writes is as uniquely identifying as a fingerprint or something like that. Well, yeah, you know. Well, the difference between a fingerprint and that is the fingerprint doesn't change, see? Whereas your language is the sum total of all your experiences, you see? I mean, for example, in my family, my kids, they don't even know it. They use uh, phrases from other languages because when they were growing up, I might use that phrase. And, you know, they thought it was English, right? So... You are your linguistic and experiential history. It's true. Wow. So we can tell a lot about people. Yeah. Well, you know, I have been known for my uh, linguistics of, they call them boisms. Uh-huh. There you like, go. Um, or there you bow. Like with Hillary Clinton, I thought she had a munchetation situation with Huma. Now, what would be a munchetation situation? That would be a lesbianic, oh, a lesbianic relationship. Okay. So, I mean, I did it for 34 years. On I used to do Imus in the morning, and it was uh, uh, I used to make my own language up, and I use uh, uh, that they're, they're getting very uh, um, tumultuous, and all these words that I'd make oh, yeah. up about. Yeah, that, that's like a secret language. Like yeah, Miyazari, you remember Murray the They call it Boism. Yeah, yeah, no, and I know. And when I wrote my book, uh-huh. one of my books was called Business Lunchitations. <laughs> okay, there you and go. And I talked about, you know, using these words, and I and sometimes you just slip out. And it's not that I'm doing psychological, it's just like I fit them in. Yeah. And my vocabulary is not that advanced because I'm a high school iron worker, laborer, construction worker. You're cop. doing okay. And, and that's it. But, I mean, I don't have the formal vocabulary right. training. I like those big words, but if I try to use some of those big words... Sometimes I mix them up. So, And that's one of the things. So imagine that we find in some document uh, one of your atacious words. We'll know yeah. that they have heard you at some oh, well, point. You definitely know what I mean? attribute yeah. to me. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. There's, there's this case that you worked on. Yeah. And I'm very interested in it. And I was there. I was in the house in uh, 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 Jean Bonnet. Really? And uh, after the murders... They had two college kids that were renting the place, and the inquirer actually hired me, and they gave me ten grand to go just fly out and get my feelings. And I read the autopsy reports. I, I was a homicide detective yeah, I know. for years, and uh, it's just something that when you when I read about you, what did you get? What did you actually do with the John Bonet case? Right. Well, what was your take on it? Well, I honestly, and you know, I know the kids sued everybody, but. I still say it's the brother, yeah. and they were covering up for the brother. And the fact that the brother, a lot of people don't know, hit the daughter, the little girl with a golf club, and she has a scar in the head. We whacked her in the head. That shows a little bit of uh, violence in my heart. And then the whole thing about them covering something up like this, and then the handwritten note was definitely her handwriting was left on that pad with the yellow pad. And it's just, to me, my feelings, again, they'll probably sue me because my feelings are, uh, 
I feel as though the brother done it. And I feel like I talked to Linda Fairstein, who was a former head of sex crimes of New York City. And um, when young boys grow up, it's it's called a sibling type rivalry sure. thing, sexual ex- exploration of sexuality. So in other words, when a boy's nine years old, 10 years old, whatever, they're not actually having uh, sexual affairs, but what they do is they explore. And with the little girl, I'm going to get a little graphic, is there was wood splinters like that, the paintbrush was shoved into her vagina. And that would, was determined. The paintbrush was broken in half, and then one half was used for the garrote around her neck. Then her her injuries were consistent to her skull being fractured. And then there was the loud scream at 2, two o'clock in the morning. They didn't find her. And then all of a sudden, your little girl found dead. You then get on a plane the same day and fly out to uh, Georgia. And the only way you talk with the cops, if you were interviewed together, and you would have the questions beforehand. And their their attorney was a former prosecutor. The whole thing sucked. And the thing I really got pissed off was when her pajamas, there was DNA, touch DNA. That means right now I touch the jacket right now. I just put my DNA on you. That was the determining factor for that stupid DA to say, we're, we're releasing the father and the mother and the brother as suspects because we have DNA from someone else. It was touch DNA. The Persian, the person who was folding the pajamas in the store could have had their DNA on it. I mean, it's just so ludicrous. And all along, when she died, Joe Monet's mother, I really believe the father and the brother know what the hell happened that day. And I really don't believe, when I looked at the house, the house wasn't that big where you wouldn't know what's going on. Also, there was some fresh falling snow there. There was no footprints on that snow that night. And it was a light coating of snow there. And I just feel as though, and then all of a sudden, the the Army, Swiss Army knife that was found in the closet where the little girl was, was the Swiss Army knife of the brother. And he loved it. He never would leave it alone. That was found in there. And then she had chunks of pineapple in her digestive, in her stomach. And the father said he carried it to bed around 9 o'clock. And it was determined with the autopsy that she ate those chunks of uh, pineapple after 11 o'clock, and then the brother's fingerprints were on that pineapple ball. There's too many things there, and that was my feelings on that. So how did you actually get involved with the case? Well, number one, you are in, uh, I think, almost perfect agreement with the two FBI agents that I've Really? I, I, I honestly, <clears throat> this yeah, yeah. is my determination. Oh, I never, and then they said that the kids sued CBS. They said something. I really don't care. This is my professional yeah, opinion. Yeah. Everyone is a suspect when I'm investigating a murder. Yeah. And a little girl is murdered. I would never not keep the mother, the father, and the brother. Those three had motive. The motive, the kids, a little touched in his head, had assaulted her pride. The means were right there. Any opportunity. Sure. So go ahead. So these two FBI agents from the Behavioral Analysis Unit, uh, they were part of the group that... Uh, reenacted and of course they had uh, been involved throughout and Jim Fitzgerald uh, was in BAU1 uh, who I worked with at Quantico and on some cases and we would do training together of Is this a profilers? Yeah, that's is, right. that, is that that woman with the bug eyes? The I'm, one for the no FBI idea. with the bug eyes? What was her I name? Don't she know. used to come to all kinds of conclusions. I mean, wait, wait, wait. So let's go back to and Jim Clemente who was in the Serial Crimes Against Children yeah. uh, BAU and they recreated, and Jim was also a forensic linguist. I got into it, though, later because um, of this guy, John Carr, who was one of the, was was one of the suspects. Thailand. Well, he made himself a suspect. Yeah. And I think he was trying to get an airlift out of uh, Thailand, Thailand, one step ahead of the cops there. And the Boulder, Colorado folks uh, airlifted him to Boulder because he said that he had been involved. And um, so one of the newspapers hired me to look at all of his back and forths with some professor who made uh, like his life's work, John Benet, poor thing. And, um, and then the ransom note, and I looked at it and I analyzed it and I said, uh, he, didn't, he didn't write it. And no, her handwriting was No, right. no, besides it's, that. Uh, yeah. Leave that alone, just the language, right? Because we don't uh, deal with handwriting. And, and I never really understood that handwriting thing, but it's interesting what you say. So 
um, the newspaper kept begging me to say that he did it, right? Because that would make a better story. And every morning on Good Morning America, there was this handwriting guy who said, he did it. Card did it. This is handwriting. Oh, he he was saying the handwriting on yeah, the yeah, note yeah, was yeah, caused? Yeah. He says, that I, I didn't ever heard yeah, that. Yeah. He said, I'll stake my reputation on it. And then the DNA came in, and of course, Carr had nothing to do with it. So they let him go. So they got a guy, you know, from Thailand who was in, in hot water, and then he went. And there's more to that story. But anyway, that was my but what, involvement. But reading the note, you would you you determine the fact that it wasn't him writing That's right. thing. Yeah. Now, in reading that ransom note from your logist, what's that called? Linguistics. Ling- Linguistic logistics is fine. Okay. I, I like Ling- that. That's a new boism. Good. Linguistics, <laughs> logistics. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Uh, did you determine who wrote that note? No. Or what kind of person? Or what yeah. was the origin of the writer? Well, already the FBI had done that, and I agreed with Jim Fitzgerald. What did they say? Well, well they said, obviously, it was not a small foreign faction. I mean, if you're a small foreign faction, you don't say you're a small foreign faction. <laughs> I think also there was a, a draft of it in the in the trash can originally. I mean, it was so clear. They took time. I mean, yeah, they exactly. took time to write that. And the, the amount of uh, ransom was exactly what his uh, advance had been that he had given himself that year from his own company, the dad. Plus. And hold on. There was one other good one. I'm, my, my mind starts to kick in a little bit. And the fact about uh, him going back into the house and removing stuff, the father. I mean, come on. Your little girl's murdered. I would be like this. Please. Detectives, yes, of whatever you want, please right. help me find yeah. who murdered my daughter. Right. I wouldn't be getting on a plane flying to to Georgia, and it was just horrific the way that whole case unraveled. Yeah, I know. And Jim also noted that there were several things in the uh, letter that were straight from different movies that the <laughs> that they had been that they had either rented or were sitting right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah so da, 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 she my, died. my feelings don't again. try to grow a brain, John. This was apparently straight from these movies, and that was another good link to them. My 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 feelings on that was like they all Cain, Cain and Abel. They found out the son was down there, whatever he was doing with her, yeah. and she screamed the little girl. He panicked, crushed the skull. You know, the skull had a, a terrible fracture in the skull. She's laying on the ground, gasping. Whatever they come down, what happens? What'd you do? You hit your sister. Now the kid's bleeding out. The little girl. And then they put the garage to finish off like a, a dog. You that, think they did? Yes. The parents? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. That I never heard. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. Save the other kid. That's my theory. Yeah. Well, they, he could have just killed her too, Those right? three people, okay. I, I, can, I can accept yeah. that. No, I don't know. I remember no, that, no. This, that. This is that's your Bollywick, not you mine. Have, you, have, yeah. you have three people yeah. in that house with that little girl. Yeah. They know what happened. Oh, That's I, my point. I, I'm sure you're right. I don't disavow the fact that he could have put the garage on him. Yeah. No, I, I can. Or maybe after the fact. But see, I don't know. Again, I can, this is I can, my, I can go along with yeah, that. But the only thing that just upset me was the fact that there was touch DNA that they determined to release That's them really from being suspects. Yeah. You don't release anybody yeah. until you find the person that killed them. And, and that's why even now, what, however many years ago, yeah. we're still talking about it. Yeah. I, I still see in you know the supermarket uh, tabloid sometimes. The real we killer. Found the real we killer. Found yeah. a, real killer. Yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. a Martian or something, you know. So, what other interesting cases did you work on? Well, I worked. So, I worked on this murder case. Sorry, one sec. Sure. With the Pennsylvania State Police, um, they gave me these two uh, letters that uh, surrounded the case. And the first was a stalker letter. It said, here's the proof your wife is blah, blah, blah. I had an affair with her, and uh, um, I would have liked to find out of all our other sexual practices, but uh, she made sure my fiancé found out. She had an abortion and dumped me. I'm only now, now I'm back in town, and it's time for payback. Okay? And this is found on the husband's windshield. So everybody in the family knew it. Uh, the cops know it, and everybody's scared. So mm-hmm. then the woman's found strangled in her uh, SUV outside a, uh, a supermarket. Then as the investigation starts heating up, another letter is sent, this time to the police and the press, that on the surface, very, very different. It says, uh, uh, the guy's, I'm a serial killer. There's the fifth woman I killed. 
Yeah, I know you're snickering, right? Right, exactly. Uh, it's getting easier. Uh, she, I'm having an affair with her. She tried to break it off, so I broke her neck, okay? And they say to me, what can you tell us about whoever wrote these letters? And I didn't even know. I mean, I, I, I figured the woman was dead, but I, I really didn't know anything about the case. So my, uh, my uh, Columbia mentor, Benji Wald, and I, uh, we analyze it, and we see that although they're really different in some ways, the, the later one is dumbed down and there's misspellings or misgrammar and stuff. They're really very, very similar. And they show a tremendous ability to tell a story with flashbacks and flash forwards and going out of the narrative sequence, et cetera, et cetera, that is so good that you don't even know he's doing it at first. I mean, that's how good the guy is, both of them. And then I noticed that there was a link that maybe was going to give, get the judge to give us a search warrant for the main suspect's uh, writings, which was a rhetorical device. Uh, I would have liked to have found out. She made sure my fiancé found out. Um, she wanted to break it off, so I broke her neck. And I mm. said, gee, that's interesting. Break, Both break. these letters, yeah. So I researched it, and I found out that it's not a common rhetorical device. Guy, I went to Brigham Young University. They have this enormous uh, catalog of rhetorical devices. And I said, no, I don't know what it is. So the judge said, okay. So they gave me all his, uh, all the main suspect's uh, writings. And, of course, the, you knew before I told you that it's the husband. Um, so... Uh, and we saw that there was a really good case to be made. And this is because of... Now, they use this during the court test. You testified oh, yeah. in the court as an expert oh, yeah. on forensic... Linguistics. Linguistics. <laughs> Linguistics. So it's not... You said when I, I like first started analogy. talking, yeah. I thought it was you listen to someone talk. Well, that too. And then, you, oh, that's part of it also. Writing samples yeah. with the linguistics that are in there. Right. Plus, then, when you listen to someone talk... Again, just the way they talk, right. that could give you signs of it. Sure. Or we could do speaker identification, uh, like uh, who is this making this death threat mm -hmm. on, on a voicemail. On a voicemail. You yeah. could then. Well, sometimes we can narrow the suspect pool down. Um, and uh, So if I went like this, if I call up Carlos, I was like, I'm going to kill you. You can know that I'm not from the Middle East and I'm not a terrorist that's going to kill Carlo, right? Well, it was not a really good ululation. Yeah. No. Nah, it's not how it works. But anyway, I get the point. Um, uh, Carla asked me earlier, um, how do we know that we're not going to be led down the disinformation path? And uh, because we always, of course, you know, when I do trainings and I've trained FBI and uh, security services in England, um, Canada, Denmark, all over the place. I always say, you look at this stuff, but the most important thing is assume that everything is disinformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, someone right? trying to go in the exactly. wrong direction. I mean, it's like yeah. any investigation. Yeah. So you look at stuff that doesn't add up. For example, there's a famous uh, case of my mentor, Roger Scheib, um, it's called the Devil Strip case, uh, where uh, this little girl was kidnapped and the uh, ransom note said, you ever want to see your precious little girl again? Leave money, blah, 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 in the, the trash can at 6th and Main or something on the devil strip at 6th and Main. And uh, no cops come alone or daughter is dead. Daughter's misspelled. Cops is misspelled. Like Keystone Cops, K-O-P-S. No. Uh, but precious is spelled correctly. So who can't spell yeah, cops but can spell precious also? And then even more importantly, because maybe he looked up precious. The punctuation is perfect. All the punctuation perfect. So we knew, I mean, I wasn't around uh, for that case, but Roger said, so Roger takes the stuff and then he says to the, to the police, he says, do you have on your suspect list a well-educated man from Akron, Ohio? And they said, I think, you know, Roger, come on, I know it's going to take a week for you to do this. What, are you joking with us? What are you, Sherlock Holmes? Does the guy walk with a limp too? Did, it, did, did Was he in the army? You know, did he see service in India? Roger says, just look at the list. Sure enough, there was a guy, a very well-educated man from Akron, Ohio. And he knew that the person must have a reputation as being well-educated because otherwise he wouldn't have tried to dumb down. And why Akron, Ohio? Because he used the term devil strip. And he didn't even know because he, the, the strip of grass between the road and the sidewalk is called a devil strip. Never knew that. Never heard of that. That's because it's only in Akron, Ohio. 
because uh, people got hit by cars there, I guess. I, oh, yeah. Hey, that's a good point. Yeah. In, in railroading. Oh. Hey. I'm a fucking detective. You know, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because in railroading, the devil, whatever it is, is is where a train will pop out and kill somebody. Now, is this admissible evidence now? I mean, yes. it's a, it's a, not a perfect science. No. I mean, DNA, DNA. Well, yeah, but, but you to know. You aren't the that's, two, that's one billion to one. I get you, but that's assuming that the... <clears throat> The uh, sample is perfect and not mixed. Yeah, but can't we get, like, say if Carlo takes one of your courses, becomes a linguistic, uh, what is it? Logician or, I don't know. What, what is it called? Forensic linguist. Forensic. forensic. Yeah. And Carlo becomes a forensic linguist. And all of a sudden, you're testifying a case, and I bring Carlo in for the defense. You're testifying for me, the real detective. He comes in with Stevie Wonder defending him, right? Now... It's going to be him saying one thing, like my friend Michael Barton just came out with this Epstein guy. Yeah, I know him, yeah, sure. He's a good friend of mine. Good guy. He was a great, uh, when I was a homicide detective, we did a lot of cases. He's a great medical examiner, but he's a hired gun. And now you're going to have three bones broken in the neck, but in reality, I've seen hangings with three bones were broken in the neck. But, but and now he's getting with DNA. Well, I mean, you have no, a battle of the experts. No, 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 no. You mean battle with the expert. But I mean, that that's something that could be either way. DNA is DNA. Like with the OJ case, that bullshit with the blood about being contaminated, that was OJ's blood. And there was no, oh, they mixed it with something to change it, and it was some sort of protein. That's bullshit. That's fact. But this is a little bit, this science is a little, it's the same science as, it's not as perfect as DNA. No, I hear my, you. It's not a bench science where... But we, it's accepted, you said, yes, yes. in oh, these I've, cases. I've, I've testified in, I don't know, 10 different states and five different federal district courts. But what is the guy coming now? What's the defense attorney? Say if you're, if you're stating for the prosecution. Right. How does the defense attorney go at your findings? Right. Well, typically they get another linguist, right? Like like Carlo. Yeah. Actually, he, he uh, we were talking before the show, and he, he actually uh, has quite a lot of insight into this. Because as we were walking through some of the stuff... He was saying, wait, so you mean this and that? He studied. And he was right on. He's well prepared, Carl. He's well prepared. I may lose him to be, become a... Linguist? Linguist. <laughs> I'll be a very cunning linguist. Cunning linguist. Right. So, yeah, I've never heard that one before. Um, so, yeah, it, it depends on the case. You see? Uh, so, so the question now, again, to bring everybody back... I'll give, I, you, I'll give you an example, okay? So, no, just, I want to just set up for the listening audience. The sure. question I ask, his expertise is is the best in this business. But what happens when the defense goes against you guys? Right. Well, it depends on the data. Because if we have so many idiosyncratic things uh, in the known documents of one of the suspects, and they don't occur in any of the other suspects. So you, you show your evidence that's right. that gave and, you and the determinate factor. Right. right. For example, in this Hummert case that I was talking about, the one with the letters, it turned out, to our amazement, uh, Benji Wald uh, noticed that, and we'd never seen this before or since, that the way Hummert, the husband, contracted things, like he never contracted positives. He would always say, I am. He'd never say, I'm, okay? Uh-huh. But negatives, he'd sometimes contract. So out of something like 50 possibilities, he didn't contract one. And then these two letters, one that the jury figured was setting up, you know, a straw man to take the blame for murdering his wife, and the uh, the uh, serial killer letter, exactly the same. Wow. Pattern. Now, with the advent of this AI bullshit and uh, analytics and all the big words and all that, I do know what they are a little bit. And we work ourselves with Carlo and I in the investigative field when we have to get information out of reams of tens of thousands yes. of pages yes. where you use AI or analytics yes. to fine-tune it down. Right. If I want to know when your name appeared in 60 minutes in the last 50 years, boop, you do analytics, right. it spits out. Yeah. Are you working with analytics and AI on your findings also? Yes. Um, and, for example, I uh, had uh, really good success in Southern District in New York uh, where I showed uh, that a judge from another country had let the other side ghostwrite his decision. And for that, we had to crunch 250,000 pages 
oh. of discovery in Spanish in dozens of different formats. And I hired the greatest forensic linguist in the world, uh, a guy named uh, Patrick Yola, and he was able to handle exactly that kind of thing. And utilize AI in it. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. He's a, Otherwise he's a, he's been, a computer expert. It would have been impossible that's to right, go that's through right. all that. Although I must say, just to be sure, they went through, uh, they, they did tests. You know, they took yeah. samples and went through by hand. At, they had teams of people doing it just to make sure everything was according to Hoyle. So we also are developing our own um, uh, engine, which will accelerate what I do. Uh-huh. See, at the end of it, you still need a human being. You put it in. To look, yeah. And maybe it'll come. So I do a lot of work for, you know, the federal government. And sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, here's this guy. Is is it this guy, right? Yeah. And so we have to give them an estimate. Then they have to go upstairs. They have to get it approved. Da, 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 da. And maybe by the time all that happens, the whole thing is changed. So hey, they'd be able to license my engine yeah. and do a first pass, you see? Okay, no. Elimination. Yeah, elimination. Let's keep looking around. Let's yeah. keep looking around. See? Now, what if we had a terrorist that speaks Abedin? Yeah, Abed, how, how do you uh, analyze to see if a threat's credible, if it's legit? Right. Or- so the... Behavioral anal- an- analysis analysts. Uh, see, it's catching. Uh, behavioral analysts. Before you leave, you, you're not going to be able to talk after me. <laughs> they're, they're the ones who who actually do threat level. So the BAU one that I was involved with, they did counterterrorism and threat assessment. And my contribution to all this was forensic linguistically enhanced threat assessment. So it makes a lot of difference if you think that this threat, we had, this was actually a real case, uh, to the White House, uh, going to bomb the White House, was sent by the head of al-Qaeda in the Maghreb or by a 14-year-old boy in that the North Virginia. That was believe that he wants exactly, to. Exactly, yeah. you see. And you can tell that from an analysis. Even but, if it's a foreign language. Yeah, well, yeah, then you get foreign specialists. Um, but another murder case where a guy... Uh, was convicted of strangling his wife and two little boys. Um, he sent himself threats for, almost, I think, around six months, seven months before, uh, death threats, before he killed his family, because, you know, he was hoping. And Batten was involved in that, too, by Who the way. Who was Michael? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for prosecution like me. And these threats, one of the things I do when I do trainings in threats is look at this. Okay, so we have... All of these aspects of enhanced threats and uh, more serious threats, and he has detailed knowledge of when somebody's going to be somewhere, and now he's cursing, and now he's frustrated, and all this, except it was all shimra. It was all make-believe, mm-hmm. you see? So they were looking at it as a threat assessment, but if they'd come to the idea that maybe do an authorship first, mm-hmm. maybe the wife and kids right. would have been, maybe the wife and kids would be alive. Yeah, and I'm not well. saying anybody did anything wrong because nobody knows about forensic linguistics. They only got me when they realized that the husband, the father, was the chief suspect, and they also got something off his computer at work that was one of those threats. He said it was hacked in. Wow. But I was what able about to other it criminal enterprises? Like, uh, would your uh, technique work for you know code breaking uh, drug dealing gangs you know you know they tend to use code words and things like that are you able to determine you know and they're not really moving tables but you know drugs <laughs> yeah i was just in uh, the new york times just interviewed me about hold the ziti <laughs> it was you know one of the yeah, code words two boxes for, of ziti exactly and it's funny because i said to them you know it's true i've had a lot of cases where for some reason they're always talking about lasagna or ziti you know and uh but that was a lucchese film Guys. Yeah, and they messed up because they said they wanted two and a half boxes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, sort of what we do is code cracking. But yeah, then you really have to have some contextual mm-hmm. stuff. You were asking me uh, before the show about uh, civil matters. Sure, yeah. And, and like that one uh, that I was talking about with the 250,000 uh, uh, pages of discovery, that was $14 billion civil suit. Wow. Yeah. And I was uh, hired by Apple 
to fight uh, both Microsoft on the one hand and Amazon on the other to preserve App Store as a trademark. And uh, I said it wasn't generic, and that's the big deal in, in trademark. And the judge agreed with me, but uh, Apple just dropped the, uh, the case. I, I think after they spent 80 gazillion dollars, <clears> they said, we'll, we'll, we'll take our chances. We're actually in the tri-state area right now, and where actually is the place that uh, specializes in this type of a forensic? Well, the first and uh, still the only actual face-to-face -face, uh, graduate program in forensic linguistics is at my university, Hofstra uh, University, which is Hempstead, Long Island, on Long Island. And we are the center in the Western Hemisphere, really. So there's nothing this. on the West Coast, anything? No, no. There's. Uh, Is this catching on more? Oh and more? yeah, and there's centers in and graduate programs in England and in Spain, um, in the Netherlands. How long is it going to take Carlo to be an expert on this? If I send I'll, him to I'll accelerate it, but we have these week-long intensive courses, which are reprises of what Jim Fitzgerald. Uh, he eats a lot of pizza. Oh, good. Okay. When he goes and no, to these but no ziti, I hope. No um, so when when Jim recruited me to help him with these uh, week-long boot camps in forensic linguistics, I would go down to Quantico, and he was already doing this. He was training his own agents, foreign allied agents, uh, mm -hmm. you know, people from Secret Service. So he's Service like the stuff. godfather of this? Well, he, he's, the, he's the behavioral and investigative godfather. Well, who started it? And then Roger Shai, who, who started years ago. Is he still before. alive? Yes, yes, he's in his and he's 80s. he's the godfather yeah, of absolutely, this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and he's, he lives in, uh, in Missoula, Montana, mm -hmm. and uh, still works on occasional cases with me. And as I say, he So you learned books. from the godfather. That's right, exactly. Yeah. So you're like an underboss. That's right. Well, <laughs> yes. if, you, if, if you must, I like metaphor, but I'm not sure I like that one. Yeah. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> the last time I used that one, I got in trouble because... I was up in Rayo's Italian restaurant, yeah, yeah. and I uh, had Kenny Lang going up there, and uh, Dick uh, Dick uh, Grasso, and uh, Dick uh, was his name, Dick Hertz. What's his name? Dick Fold. Dick Fold from Lehman Brothers. <laughs> and all of a sudden, so I went on Ivis in the morning. I used to do him thirty-four years, and I'm saying, "Well, you know, who'd you have up on your table on Thursday night?" He says, "Well." I had so-and-so, so-and-so, and I said, and I had the the underboss of UBS, Joe Grano, really American hero. So all of a sudden it goes out, all of a sudden he gets called into the chairman's office. He goes, oh, they don't say you're the underboss. <laughs> you think about it, his boss, he's under the boss. Where was the connotation of organized you crime? You should have said that? he was the cardinal instead of the pope, right? Okay, so wait. <laughs> so, so we would do these week-long courses and then when Jim retired from the FBI, he said, hey, let's take these courses to Hofstra. So even before I had the graduate program, we have two, in the, one in the fall, one in the spring, intensive week-long things. And it's both for my graduate students and for FBI agents. Well, you should be at John Jay College of Morons and Assholes. You know, we we do a lot of, yeah. uh, of work I'm not very them. impressed so with John Jay College. So you can come to the forensic uh, uh, linguistics mm -hmm. intensive course. Oh, definitely. You know the, why I don't like John Jay College? Because when I was a young cop, rookie, they sent me there. I was there for six months. I went to classes. This was during open enrollment. I was the only white guy in the classroom. Everybody had Afros and was all African-Americans in there. And I showed up maybe twice. I took a psychology, sociology. What year was this? Probably 1970. So things probably haven't changed. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I'm in a classroom Oh, well, we were conditioned about this. You don't know what condition's about. When your father's born in Germany and his belt buckle's imprinted on your ass every day, if you look wrong way at your mother, that's that's being conditioned. We had to work from when you were eight years old, delivering newspapers, cleaning factories out. That's being conditioned. Don't run that condition crap. You go out and get a job. And they were, they were, it was almost going to go into fisticuffs. So I didn't show up anymore. All of a sudden, I opened the mail up. I obtained a B average, and I never showed up. So that's why I call it John Jay College of Morons and Assholes. So when someone has a college degree from John Jay, I go, yeah. <laughs> so they should have flunked you. They should have. Oh, I, didn't, okay. I didn't even show up. I'll write them a letter. Right. Okay. Well, I never got a degree from them, so let them wipe their ass with their well, B average. just some extra training? That no, it was wanted? classes, yeah. yeah. Oh, so you know, you they went on They went on getting the free education. They went on getting these bullshit degrees, and they were their BA and their MBA and their doctors. 
You know, you can do with those degrees, wipe your ass. I want somebody that has actual world experience. So you've had a lot of different jobs. That was you uh, you were describing, of course, right? I've had many jobs. I've run many companies. I've done a lot of things. No, no, I mean in the early days. Like, yeah, I was a forklift operator. No, no, when I was a kid. And then I rented refrigerators. And then I was in Shanana, which was quite (laughs) a difference. No, I I, 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 in my shirts with uh, Niagara. Niagara space spray starch. Mm-hmm. Always had a wrinkled shirt. Clean the house. I did everything. But then when I got home from school, I had to sweep the factories out. I was a short order cook. I was a busboy. I was a grill. Work ethics was what my father beat into me. Work hard. You make money. You don't take money other than you work for it. And that's a very simple way of life. Well, I had a lot of jobs, too, without them beating me. But uh, <laughs> you're making me remember. Yeah, I was, a, as I say, a forklift operator. That was good. Unfortunately, I was the worst forklift operator mm-hmm. they had. I kept knocking down the, well, anyway, we, we won't go into that. But I escaped to college. So what would you give uh, advice to some young listeners that might be interested in getting into this field? Well, it it really is something that a lot of people are realizing, especially with true crime being so popular, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a forensic files uh, of that Hummert case that I was uh, talking about. Why don't I call my friend that runs investigation discovery get you on there with your own show yeah there's actually well that's fine with me there's actually a nice thing on uh one of the cases on investigation discovery like a four-minute clip of me uh explaining forensic linguistics but a good way for people to get involved is they can take this week-long course and wow uh, and they can show interest so there's a week-long course to get you taste your your, that's right get a taste to see your interest in the spring it's with jim fitzgerald that i co-teach with my old fbi partner and in the fall it's with a fabulous Danish forensic linguist who works all over wow. the continent named uh, Tanya Christensen. And how much does it cost somebody? Uh, $947. Carl, like I'm not for paying week. for you to go. For a week. All right, I'm not paying I'll Give them a discount. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, I learned something today. I, uh, when when we were talking about it before we did the show and Carla was explaining what it was, I still didn't get it. Now I truly, truly get it. It took us almost an hour for me to get it, but now I understand linguistics. Yeah. Well, and you're a detective and you're a very, uh, you know, seasoned detective. So you see how, you know, we're doing the same thing that any any other investigative uh, science does. It's just that we're dealing with sounds and, and things on a printed page. Yeah. Well, I mean, detective work has really changed since I was around in the 70s. I mean, we... We didn't have DNA then. Right. We didn't have what sure. you have now, even with ballistics and all that. But still the basic idea of motive, means, and opportunity, incredible witnesses, right. and, and interviewing people as far as using what we call ruse. Is that the word? Yeah, a ruse. Yeah. yeah. So in other words, that was a very great tool. Now they're talking about taking that away from the detectives because they feel as though people are being tricked. I mean, look, you take that away. And then all of a sudden, you're not going to be solving any cases, and people are going to be walking around killing people. I was once in uh, Copenhagen. We were having a conference. Uh, Did you go to Red Light District over there? No, I think you're thinking of Amsterdam. Oh, so, oh yeah. sorry. But um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, no. So, uh, and I was sitting around the table with an NYPD detective who, who is a graduate of our uh, um, MA program, and two Danish seasoned homicide detective, and they're dealing with biker gangs all the time. American biker gangs uh, have uh, their outposts there, and they're the big drug dealers. And uh, RCMP and British detective comparing notes on what you're allowed to do and not do, you see. And, for example, in Canada, if I remember correctly... Mr. Big, that's a... they 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 can't lie. They can't do a ruse. Wait, wait, wait for it, except uh, to build, you know, a rapport. Oh, you're, you're divorced? Oh, yeah, I'm divorced, too. But they can't say, I have a video of you doing it. Wait. Or you can't wait, say, wait, 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 I wait. have another witness. That's just going to call what on, you hold say. On. But you can have an attorney there. But if the attorney says, Carl, I don't want you answering any more questions, he'll say, uh, look, we're doing a courtesy to have you sitting here. If you tell him not <laughs> to answer questions, you're going to go up on obstruction of justice. No, we don't do that here. See, so oh, I like you that. give a little, you get a little. That kind yeah, of thing. I like and that. the Danes, they were still in shock. And these are hardened—I don't mean hardened, but they really experienced guys. They said, "You can lie." 
See, so you know, uh, it's, yeah, it, things yeah. are well, different it's, all it's over the world. Well, it's coming this way. In the very near future, where cops are not going to be able no, no, to interrogate with our Well, we do a lot of work on confessions and <clears throat> yeah. valid confessions and things like that. Well, Robert, we're going to wrap it up. All and, right. Uh, you're, you've really been an interesting segment. What we do every week, we do what we call a punk of the week, something that bothers you, person, situation, or whatever. And we ask our guests first, and then Carlo go next, and I go, what is, your, what is bothering you, your punk of the week? Can't think off the top of my head. I mean, uh, there are so many. No, uh, so you guys go. Maybe it'll give me Call something up? to think of. Uh, I would have to say uh, ABC News is my punk of the week. They sat on the uh, Epstein story for three years and was just uh, yeah. exposed yesterday. Yeah, and uh, we, had, we had the fellow yeah. on from Varsita. James O'Keefe. He, he previewed Veritas. it last week, and he said there was a big announcement coming. And, uh, and we saw it on the news. We saw it today. Well, my, my punk of the week is our governor, Andrew Cuomo, who I knew his father very much, loved his dad. And my punk of the week is this governor letting this uh, criminal reform bill go through and implementing these things that are going to make all the people of New York State and New York City going to be more susceptible to be victims of crimes. And for some reason, people don't care. Look, I'm not for a kid going to jail for a pot cigarette, spending time in Rikers Island. But there are certain situations when you have kids getting shot on the street and a guy gets locked up with a gun and you give him no bail and it goes on and on and on and on. And that's my punk of the week. Mr. Governor, you have to understand these people are there in this state and you have to protect them. And the first one that gets killed will one of these punks that get out on your bail reform. I hope they send a lawsuit up your ass and I hope they go after you personally. For everything you got, because what you're doing is you're making these people become victims on the street. That's my punk of the week. All right, Dr. John, where can people find you if they'd like to learn more about your program? And Hofstra University, Robert is, Leonard, Hofstra University. What is your, uh, your handle? What are, how can they reach out to you? Sure, robertleonardassociates.com. RobertLeonardAssociates.com, right. yeah. and they can find out more information. Then they can also look at the Hofstra University. Absolutely. And what do they call it again, Carlo? <laughs> I think I have it written Forensic? Down. Forensic. What, the, uh, the Institute for Forensic Linguistics at Hofstra University. Yeah. And you can look that up and uh, tell you what, it's another field. How much can you charge on this? Anything you want, right? Well, I mean. Come on. Well, what do you charge? Anything I want. Well, they, okay, then. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay, that's the same thing. Thank you so much, <laughs> Robert. Thank, thank you very, very much. Very interesting. Man. Thank you. Dr. Leonard, for being here. Uh, you can find us. We're on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and at The Real Bo Deedle on Instagram. You could also send us any emails, comments, questions, suggestions, One Tough Podcast at gmail.com, or you could find us at WABCradio.com. And we'll see you next week. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.